umgoblue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello. Welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Drew Montague. And we have a special edition. We have Drew Montague, umgoblue.com basketball editor, author of Nothing But Net. And we're going to break down and discuss the Michigan basketball season. Well, Drew, how do you feel about this season? What, what do you feel the expectations were coming in? The expectations coming in were probably definitely too high. Um, Michigan started the season ranked number six, and everybody was penciling them in for the final four. And I bought into it, too. Um, I have to admit, it looked kind of encouraging on paper, but uh, it kind of became clear that the, the players we lost weren't really replaced by the players we got as incoming freshmen and transfers. And it also became obvious that you can't always count on true freshmen to carry your team. And that's kind of what Juwan was hoping for this season. Um the incoming freshmen played well, but not fabulous. They weren't, you know, Kentucky kind of one and done kind of players. They they played well for freshmen, some of them, at times, and so the expectations had been way too optimistic. Um, by about early February, it was obvious that Michigan was not going to win the Big Ten title, and they at that point were unranked and they stayed unranked the rest of the season. Um, and they, uh, kind of lowered our expectations. The good news is that once they had our expectations lowered, they did well enough down the stretch beating top 25 teams to get into the tournament and actually did pretty well in the tournament, given what the expectations were in February just not what they were in October. Well, and what's interesting about this team for me is that, as you said, sky-high expectations, high ranking coming in, ended up 19 and 15, right? And, and there were definitely stretches where they struggled. But one of the things that kind of I, I kind of laughed at, right, is, and I would say that, Matt, that Michigan basketball has had this similar pattern for a while, right, there will be a stretch where the team looks absolutely lost, right? And, you know, even in the beeline years, it'd be, well, you know, this is the year the wheels are going to fall off, right? And then they would put it together at the end. And, and I have to say that I was kind of laughing at stretches this year because they did look bad, right? But, man, uh, NCAA tournament time, they put it together. I think the frustrating thing for me um, in that last game was, you know, when you have the opportunity, you need to take it, right? And as as great as it was to get as far in the tournament as they did, um, you know, they had that stretch in the second half where they they missed so many shots, right? And you're just you're pulling your hair out watching it, right? So it, it's just weird. It's like they like when you consider the expectations coming in and then you look at the 1915 record, you're like, wow, they did really well. But you just, you ha I had the feeling watching this, that 
they were so close to being so much better, right? It's kind of funny. The, the perception, there are times you feel like, yes, they were having a, a bad streak. But if you look at the record, or if you look at the, the list of wins and losses, they never won more than three games in a row, and they never lost more than three games in a row. I think they only lost two in a row. But so they went win-loss, win-loss all this time, and every it's it's easier to be upset by the losses than to be excited by the wins. And so the the win-loss, win-loss, they went for 12 games in a row with alternating back and forth between wins and losses going down the stretch there. They finally won two in a row in the NCAA tournament, but up until then, I think they'd gone 11 or 12 games in a row with win-loss, win-loss. So there was never really a stretch there where, where they – put together a three and four game losing streak. Um, but there was also, they couldn't string two wins together. And so that's, that's kind of different. You're right. In, in years past, um, both with Juwan and with Beeline, there'd be stretches where they'd lose three games in a row or four games in a row. And it did feel like the wheels were coming off and you never really got that feeling. They, they lose a game and, turn around the next one and, and look good and win again. Um, and it didn't seem to matter. They could lose to mediocre teams and beat good teams. It wasn't predictable. The whole way down the stretch, they kept baffling me with who they who they'd beat and who they'd lose to. Yeah, and then, you know, you had kind of a weird season with, you had the whole situation with with uh, the slap, right? Which, you know, uh, here we are, uh, uh, you know, in the in the wake of the the Will Smith slap at the Oscars. Apparently, that's the hip thing to do these days. Um, so, you know, what was your take on uh, the altercation that Jawan Howard had going through the handshake line versus Wisconsin? I've got a couple. Of- thoughts about that um watching it a lot of it depends on how well or how poorly tv covers it that they really they it wasn't clear if there were things going on that we couldn't see on tv that were um unsportsmanlike let's say by wisconsin um what i've heard looking at and looking at other video feeds from people with cell phones and stuff like that. We're getting to Zapruder kind of stuff here, but um, it appears that there was quite a bit of um, extracurricular talking and taunting by the Wisconsin team and coaches before Joanne lost it and slapped them. I certainly don't defend Juwan's way of doing that. I, I have a kid who's 26 now, but at the time we had to keep telling him, use your words. And Juwan certainly could have used his words and not slapped the assistant coach for Wisconsin. Um, I feel like he was kind of uh, baited into it. Um, on the other hand, the way, boy, the way the game went, there were a couple uh, 
parts of the game where uh, there was a little rough play that I felt like didn't get called real well. The, the one in particular was Brad Davison giving an elbow to Hunter and doubling him over, knocking him to the floor. That didn't get called. And I think that that kind of got the team and probably Juwan more than the other players, the players on the team got them upset. So when things were being said in the handshake line, um, it was kind of a powder keg. And I wasn't too surprised when it exploded. Um, one of the things that upsets me the most about the whole incident, though, was that they let each school decide on what they thought was appropriate punishment, who should be punished and how much. And Michigan did their traditional, you know, we're real sorry, we'll overpunish. And Wisconsin did their, huh, well, if you guys are going to overpunish, we're going to underpunish. I felt like giving Greg Gard a slap on the wrist and paying his fine, they suggested the fine and then they paid it, was no punishment at all. And suspending one player who I can't remember who was a starter or not um, for one game, it just didn't seem quite fair. It seemed like there were an e equal number of Michigan players and Wisconsin players tussling. So if there were two Michigan players suspended, there probably should have been two Wisconsin players suspended. And I felt like Krabenhoff, the Wisconsin assistant coach, who was the one who got slapped, but was also the one who was running his mouth before that, I felt like he should have gotten suspended for at least a game and gotten a fine. And I felt like Jawan and Gard should have both had similar fines and similar suspensions. And that guard should have had to paid the fine out of his own pocket. But anyway, so I didn't feel like the punishments were handled real well. Um, and I also felt like oh, more of the blame was piled on the Michigan program and Juwan than was strictly accurate. I felt like Wisconsin should have taken a little bit of the blame for uh, talking trash in the in the handshake line before slaps before Juwan did the slap. Well, and, you know, as you said, you know, the punishments were unequal. You know, that's classic Big Ten Conference cowardice, right? And it's one of the criticisms that I have of the incident, right? You have the Big Ten. How is that not dictated by the conference? And, you know, much like the NCAA, the Big Ten – you know, just kind of stood by like an innocent bystander. Who, us? Yeah, you're the conference, right? Now, I'm going to, um, you know, you know, I, I have a pretty strong opinion on this, right? I know there's a lot of people, uh, Michigan fans, who want to defend Juwan in this. And, you know, oh, my gosh, a member of the Fab Five um, complaining about trash talking. Really? Wow. Hard to believe, right? You know, considering the history. Um and, and, you know, here's the thing, okay? I don't care what Wisconsin did, okay? I really don't. There's a way to deal with that. Um, and, you know, Juwan has to keep his cool, okay? And, you know, this goes back to um, my criticism of Bobby Knight, right? 
people will go on and on about what a great coach Bobby Knight is, right? And I would say, listen, if if uh, Bobby Knight can't control himself, how can he expect his players to control themselves, right? And I think much as, you know, at the end of Bobby Knight's career where he got put on a, uh, a zero-tolerance policy and some student walked by and said, hey, what's up, Knight? And he lost his cool. I think that when Juwan did this, he's opening himself up to, you know what, every hat coach from here out, every student section, every student, every idiot fan, of which I know you, you've you experienced a lot of that, um, you know, both as an usher and as a fan. I think you open yourself up to to this kind of aggravation, right? Because he has shown that people can get underneath his skin and you've just exasperated, right? Um, so again, that's something he's going to have to deal with. You know, I've heard a lot of, well, you know, Joan comes from the mean streets of Chicago. He comes from the NBA. Hey, you're a coach. Okay. Um, also newsflash, um, College basketball, especially the Big Ten, has bad officiating. No crap, right? Better get used to that. So I, I'm, I, I was pretty unhappy with how he responded. Um, unhappy that the Big Ten didn't step in, but not surprised. And, you know, I think what this shows, Drew, is, listen, there is a lot of antagonism. There's always antagonism toward Michigan, right? I think there's also a lot of personal antagonism toward Juwan, right? When you look at these other coaches, they paid their dues, they climbed the ladder, they got to the Big Ten, and here's Juwan, right? Um, was a you know a, an amazing collegiate player, went on and had a really decent pro career, made a lot of money, won a ring, you know a lot was made of uh, his expensive sports car sitting outside of uh, Chrysler Arena. Um, I, I think there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of animosity. And I think that we're seeing it play out um, from other coaches. And it's not going to end. It's just going to continue. So Juwan's going to need to keep his yeah, okay. keep, keep can, his cool, right? Because, because, again, I mean, honestly, as soon as I saw it, man, if this was a – okay, let's put it this way. If this was a Michigan State coach, man – Every time I saw that guy, I'd be giving him crap. You'd be you'd be giving it to him because you can you can you know you can get underneath the skin. And frankly, if you get somebody if you get underneath somebody's skin, they're not doing their job. You're distracting them. Um, I I hope he's going to learn from it. He needs to learn from it because this cannot be a regular occurrence. Agreed. One thing I do want to bring up that uh, I I actually forgot about when I was writing the weekly newsletter uh, articles was that uh, we should give a lot of credit to Phil Martelli for running the team as well as he did for the five games that Juwan was suspended because if nothing else, he continued the pattern. He did win, loss, win, loss, win in his five games. So he, uh, he, he held the, held the fort while Juwan was out. Well, and again, I mean, the nice thing about when you do well in the NCAA tournament is it erases, you know, whatever happens during the season. And, you know, of course, I thought it was fabulous that they went further than Michigan State. Always love that. 
And um, again, definitely looking forward to next season. Um, looking forward to how this team is going to do. Now, I know there was um, a problem with a game being canceled. You, we were talking about that before. Do you want to talk about that? Anyway, one of the issues that we had this year with the basketball season was COVID. And it affected a couple, three of the games, actually. But it affected more than that even. The first game it affected was a home non-conference game against Purdue-Fort Wayne that was scheduled for December 21st. And there were COVID issues in the Fort Wayne program, so they canceled the game. Um, at the end of the season, as a season ticket holder, I wrote to the athletic, to the, the ticket office and tried to uh, find out about getting a refund for those tickets. And they said that they decided since there was only one game canceled, that they weren't going to issue refunds for that game. And my first thought was, oh, okay, we're not talking a lot of money there. I think there were $20 tickets. So 40 bucks, not a big deal. And then I thought for a minute, I thought about the people with, oh, say those $500 courtside seats or somebody that had a, one of the boxes, for example, I don't know. I think those are a couple hundred dollars a seat. Um, and that they probably weren't real pleased with this. So I, I kind of went back and forth with the athletic department, the ticket office a couple times um, and never really got any satisfaction. So I, I may continue working on trying to get a refund and get a refund for everybody because they probably sold six, 7,000 season tickets, probably an average price of, oh, say, 30 bucks a ticket. So that's 200000 a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of money they took in for a game they didn't put on. So, so anyway. So, Drew, they didn't offer to, like, roll that amount over to your to next year's season ticket or count it as a donation or anything? They suggested that that would be what I should just look at it as was <laughs> – a donation that I didn't really have the option of donating. So I know that with the, um, the seat licenses, what do they call them? PSC preferred seat contribution. contribution. Yeah. 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 With the, the PSCs for football for the 2020, yeah, the 2020 season, um, they let people either roll them over for their next year or they could donate them. To the athletic department but they gave people the choice but there doesn't appear to be any choice for the unusable tickets for the fort wayne game yeah and i guess it's just a bad precedent right um yeah they they said that if there had been more than one game they would have considered refunds i don't quite follow that logic and i also asked them about um they mentioned something about not, boy, how do, let me see if I can find the email. So, so, you know, what's interesting is I'm looking at the press release here for when the game was canceled. And it says right here, fans who purchase single game tickets will receive a full refund. But apparently season ticket holders didn't get that option, eh? Yep. So here's what they said. 
Unlike football, basketball season ticket prices are not set based on the number of games. Had multiple games been canceled, an adjustment would have been considered. Since it was only one game, there's no refund for season tickets. So that really got my curiosity, and I wrote back and asked them um, if the um, see if the season ticket prices aren't based on the number of games, what are they based on? And they wrote back, yeah, and said, there are a variety of factors that we take into consideration each year with the price of men's basketball season tickets. So it still didn't really answer so, my question. So Drew, what's interesting about that is I've had hockey, I've hockey, I've had hockey season tickets, I've had softball season tickets, I've had football season tickets. They're all on a game by game basis. Now, on the football side, we see a little bit of uh, shenanigans. You know, some games are worth more than others, sure. and, then, and then of course it doesn't include the site license, the seat licenses, which is, you know. Uh, a, a sore point for me um but uh, so did was this this was this just the generic account or was it actually somebody from the ticket office um like from the you know was there a person like a head of the department who responded or was it just a generic email well that's really interesting because i'm looking back at the email chain here and it was never signed they just put their um Signature thing down the bottom says athletic ticket office with the address and the phone number and all that. But no, I never had a a person actually identify themselves that answered these questions. So I, I guess probably my next step would be to bump this up and send it to Ward Manuel and see what he thinks about yeah, all this. Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. I mean, because if anything, you just want a clarification, right? Because... Yeah. The other thing that we're going to have is as much as we believe we're, we are through the worst of COVID, um, you know, perhaps we're not, right? It would be nice to know what that policy is moving forward. And I'll tell you, if it's not, if your tickets aren't, aren't calculated on a game-by-game -game basis, well, why don't they just send you tickets for free, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I just, it's kind of, you know, that, that sounds like a, these aren't the droids you're looking for kind of answer, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it just doesn't, that doesn't make, that just doesn't pass the smell test. Exactly. So, so I'm not, I'm not done with this yet. Um, yeah, I think now that I think about it, my neck probably to bump it up the chain and actually get somebody who will tell me their name to reply to this and perhaps give me a, a more thorough answer let's say it would also be interesting to know as you said um if the policy was the same for the people with the courtside tickets as the boxes well you know i got it i got an answer to that um they said we appreciate your concern for the other season ticket holders however we've only heard from a few of them so i guess if they hear from more season ticket holders asking the same question. Maybe they'll reconsider this. So mm. if you're listening to this podcast and you're a season ticket holder and you want to pursue getting a refund from the uh, ticket office for the Fort Wayne game, please send them a message. Email's the best way to do it. If you do it by phone, they've got no record. 
but uh well i whenever i have an issue i i always like to walk right down and ask but not everyone has that option so yeah yep. you know i i'm always amazed um how surprised they are when you come and have a when you have an issue and actually walk in hi how you doing yep. oh we yep. don't have an answer for you i'll wait i'll wait yep. so um so, again, but there were there were other issues related to covid besides that there were two more home games that were rescheduled. They were originally just marked as postponed and they did get rescheduled. Um, these were both because of problems in the Michigan program with not having enough eligible players that there was, there's a minimum number of players you need to have available And Michigan fell below that with people who weren't necessarily sick, but who were, waiting out contact tracing or had, were recovering from COVID. So they rescheduled the home Michigan State and Purdue games from January, moved those one into the Purdue, Purdue game got moved into mid-February, early February, and the Michigan State game got moved to March 1st. And as it happened, Michigan won both of those. But at the time, there were all the howls, especially on Twitter, about how Michigan was trying to dodge the tough teams again, and they were they weren't going to reschedule them, and they were just going to do de do about it. And uh, that didn't happen. They actually did reschedule them, and it made for two really tough weeks where they had um, a game every other day for a while. You know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of thing. I think it was for. One of them, it was Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, going into the Michigan State game, and then Saturday. So they had four games in eight days. Um, and <laughs> Michigan won both of those games. They happened to be the W's in the win-loss, win-loss, win-loss pattern. Um, so there was that. And then the other COVID issue that Michigan had was that Around those games, there were players who missed the games because they were either sick or at least being quarantined because of contact tracing or COVID symptoms or a positive test. Um, and there were also a few games before Michigan had their COVID issues that got them below the number of players where there were a couple of players who played really, really poorly. In particular, Hunter Dickinson had a couple of games where he looked like he was out there just staring up at the rafters. He just, he was not in the game. Um, and, you know, to go from 20 point games down to four and two kind of said, I, I think he was sick. He may not have had COVID. He may have had something else but he just wasn't himself for a couple of games. But even after Michigan got up to the number of players they needed to continue playing and kind of restarted their season, they weren't really the same team. There were, there were players out there who really didn't look like they had recovered and they may not have been sick anymore, but they weren't all the way back either. So it, it, I think it affected the season. It was nice that they won the two games that they had to reschedule, but there were a couple games in there that it really did look like it, there was some illness 
probably COVID, but who knows? Well, the the weird thing for me too is, so it wasn't just the win loss, the win loss, win loss. When they lost, they looked bad, right? And um, you know, again, it was just really hit or miss. And you know, I, one of the the games that really jumped out to me was um, when I was down in Florida for uh, the Orange Bowl. I saw them play Central Florida, right? And they just got ran out of the building, right? I mean, 85 to 71. And I'll tell you, it was a pro Michigan crowd. The, the, the amount of Michigan fans there. I mean, it was, it was like a away. It was a home game away. Right. And yep. they just got ran out. And I remember thinking, wow, they don't, they don't look very good at all. And, and not only good, they look kind of disinterested. Right. Yep. So, so I think that's the thing that I noticed is, um, Again, a weird season, and I remember at that point in the season thinking, you know, that, you know, this could have gone either way, meaning that if they were disappointed at not being as good as they thought they were going to be, there was the potential for this season to go upside down pretty badly. So I I do give um, Juwan and and the coaching staff credit for, I mean, again, uh, you know, a little bit above 500, but still considering, you know, there were times where it really looked like the wheels were going to fall off, but they were so hot and cold. I mean, they'd look amazing and then bad. So it, it's, I think the, the thing that, um, that I want to see, and I know we're going to talk about, you know, the players we're anticipating coming back for, for next season, but we got to see consistency, right? You, you can't, um, you know, and I think that's the mark of a really good team, right? You don't, you can't have these big swings either way. Um, so I think that that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking for this team to do. So how does it look as far as um, the players were anticipating losing and which players you're anticipating coming back? And, um, you know, when you're talking about that, who would you say was your MVP of the season? Well, I can answer that last question first. I don't think there's any question that Hunter was the MVP. Um, he led the team in scoring and in rebounds, and he had a couple of really monster games, you know, 28 and 33-point games. Um, there were a couple of games when he put the team on his back and almost single-handedly won the game. Um, there were times when we couldn't get the ball into him. That, that seemed to be the real big issue in a lot of the games that didn't go didn't go well um, would be that we just couldn't figure out how to get the ball into him. When we got it into him, he usually did good things with it. Unfortunately, the very last game against Villanova was one of his rare inefficient games where we got the ball into him and he got a lot of shots, but he just didn't make a lot of them. Um, but getting back to who's coming back and who's leaving, the only player, well, there's actually now two players we know for sure we're not going to see next year. Eli Brooks has used all his eligibility, four years in a COVID year. So he's gone. And Devontae Jones has announced that he's leaving and going to go in the NBA draft, although I don't think he'll be drafted. The rest of the team, there are four more 
players with senior eligibility who could come back and use the COVID year. I don't know if any of them will. Actually, one of them is Devante. So there's three of them. Nunez, Adrian Nunez has never done much of anything. I would be surprised if they invited him back. I think they'd like to have the scholarship. Um, Brandon Johns had a good sophomore year, an okay junior year, a weak senior year. I can't imagine they'll have him back for a COVID year. And Jerron Folds was on the scout team. And I don't know if he's going to want to come back for that. Well, Drew, there's one thing, okay? Like, for example, um, Hunter Dickinson was out on that game versus Ohio State, right? And that's the perfect example of, oh, Michigan's going to get rocked, right? And they came out and won, played real real well on the road. And I remember that game in particular because uh, I happened to go to a Pistons game on the Friday before that. I saw Hunter Dickinson there, right, as in the crowd. So, uh Maybe he got some bad pizza at LCA. But, um, again, there's an example of you're expecting the team to not play well, and they came out and, and did great. So, um, you know, what do you think – what holes do you think or what areas do you think this team needs to improve on after what you've seen this year? It really helped the last couple of years to have more than one center. And this year – I don't think that Musa Diabate is really much of a center. He's really, he's almost not a power forward even. He, there are times when he plays like a power forward, but there's other times when he's really almost a tall, small forward, if that makes any sense. There is nobody, there is no Austin Davis coming off the bench to back up, this, to back up Hunter this year. And that was a problem. We thought that maybe Brandon Johns could come in and play some kind of short center. He didn't really, he wasn't that effective doing that. So next year, looking ahead, we've got a 6'10 guy coming in. And so, yeah, I guess he could be a center. Um, but I think that's kind of the biggest problem. First of all, we don't even know if Hunter is coming back. Um, who is coming back? Well, like I said, we, we know Eli is leaving. We know that uh, Devontae Jones is leaving. The other four, the other three members of the senior class weren't impact players, and if they come back or not doesn't really have much effect. There are There's one player on the team with junior eligibility, Great trivia question. Who is it? Brandon Wade didn't play this year. He's on the, the scout team. So they gave him a senior night send off because academically he's a senior, but he does have a year of eligibility and a COVID year even. So he could come back, but he wasn't an impact player. So you get all the way down to the sophomores, this year's sophomores, and there were really only two of them that had impact and one was Hunter who was fabulous and the other was Terrence Williams who was on and off um, feast or famine I'm sure Terrence Williams is coming back I don't know about Hunter and then you get down to the freshman class 
two guys redshirted, Isaiah Barnes and Will Cheddar. Presumably they're coming back. I can't imagine they sat on the bench the whole year to then transfer out or anything like that. Um, so they'll be back with freshman eligibility. Um, two guards, Kobe Bufkin and Frankie Collins, who played a decent amount, but were real streaky as far as, you know, having one good game each or two or three good games each out of a 32 game season. You know, they, they, they weren't fabulous. And then two freshmen who played quite a bit, Musa Diabate and um, Caleb Houston. And before the season, we were saying, oh, Houston and uh, Diabate are both going to be one and dones. I don't think they showed enough this year to be one and dones. I don't, I, I've looked at all the mock drafts for the NBA, and Hunter and Musa and Caleb are not listed in any of them. There's 58 draft picks this year, and they're not in the top 58. So it, it makes the most sense for them to come back, but that doesn't mean they will. So they may still take a chance on the NBA, and the NBA may take a chance on one or, or more of them as a project. Take them as an undrafted free agent, put them in the G League, eventually some year hope to get something out of them. So I'm hoping they stay. Um, I think that certainly the two freshmen, Diabate and, and Houston, could benefit a lot from another year of college and a summer at Camp Sanderson getting some weight training and getting conditioning. And I think that Hunter improved this year but there's a lot more centers out there. Um, maybe next year's draft won't be as center heavy and he'll have also improved his game yet another year. So anyway, I don't, I don't see anybody on the team transferring and I don't see anybody on the team getting drafted. Doesn't mean that it won't happen. It just means that at this point we haven't heard any of that. So Anyway, you're asking what we need for next year. It would be nice to have another center. Um, it would be really nice to have a hot shooter. Um, Franz Wagner filled that role last year. This year, Eli tried, and there were times when he was hot. Caleb Houston at times tried, and there were times when he was hot. Um, there wasn't really anybody else. You could look at Kobe Bufkin and say, yeah, he could be it, but he sure wasn't it this year. He didn't shoot particularly well. Frankie Collins didn't shoot well this year. Um, so th there was nobody on the team you looked at and said, oh, the other team's going to be really scared of them. They'll stand out the three-point line and just drop in those three-pointers. Well, Houston had a couple games like that, but he had more games where he was 0 for 6 shooting three-pointers. So need a, a dead-eye shooter. Be nice to get another point guard because we're losing Devontae. We're losing Eli, who filled in at point guard. Now you're looking at 
Frankie Collins as kind of the main point guard with Kobe Bufkin as a combo guard who can play a decent point guard. Um, it'd be nice. Jawan may go to the transfer portal yet again. Did Mike Smith last year? Did Devontae Jones this year? He may try and pull another rabbit out of his head and get another grad student point guard to run the, the team with Frankie getting more and more responsibilities the season goes on, kind of ease him into it. Um, the guys we've got coming look promising. Um, get how be. I know that he's going to be a better player than Jace Howard. I like Jace. He's a nice guy, but he hasn't really shown much offensive when he's out there. Um, I think Jet's going to come out and be an offensive player. We'll see if he can play defense as well as Jace. Um, so having a six-seven wing who can shoot is going to be nice. We've got a, a point guard coming in, but freshman point guards, oh, it's tough. We saw what happened this year. There have been, you know, uh, Trey Burke managed to pull off a good freshman year as point guard, but it's rare. Um, they really do need a full year of getting eased into it instead of coming right from high school and, and starting a point guard. Um, those are actually the biggest needs. And what didn't I cover? I mean, I think we've got wings, but we could use another forward, power forward, and we've got that 6'10 guy coming in, so that'll help. Um, we've got uh, one center, but not a backup. I don't know. It's, I'm looking here. Terrace Reed is coming in. He's 6'10". Um, and so he'll probably play power forward. And then we've got Greg Glenn, who's 6'7". And he's going to be small forward. Doug McDaniel is the unfortunately short point guard. He's only 5'11". Um, and then Jed Howard. So four guys coming in. They're all good. They're all four stars. Um, and they'll all fill some spots we need. But Terrace Reed at 6'10". Isn't really the seven-footer that you'd like to have backing up Hunter. Um, the combination maybe of Musa and Terrace Reed will be enough to back up Hunter if he doesn't if if he comes back. Um, if he doesn't come back, and Musa kind of has to swing to be the center, it could be a rough year next year. Well. Definitely some eyes, uh, you know, something to keep an eye on. And again, it'll be interesting to see if they uh, end up hitting the transfer portal for anything. So, well, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Drew Montague. Go Blue. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.